0: Wait a minute, what? What? Yes, this is the LifeSpring One Year Bible coming to you from Riverside, California and podcasting since 2004. I'm your OG Godcaster, Steve Webb. This is The Daily Podcast where we're reading through the entire Bible in a year. Go figure. Hope you're doing well today. It's History Tuesday, and we'll complete the book of Second Samuel with a reading of chapters 20 through 24. I'm calling this episode, A Clean Slate. I'm also going to talk on the show a little bit about what's been going on at Asbury University and God's perfect timing. But before we get started, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we love you and are just so thrilled to know that we are yours. Thank you for your word, and I ask that as we read today, you would bless our time together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, are you ready? Let's begin. 2 Samuel chapter 20 A troublemaker from the tribe of Benjamin was there. His name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, and he blew a trumpet to get everyone's attention. Then he said, People of Israel, David, the son of Jesse, doesn't belong to us. Let's go home. So they stopped following David and went off with Sheba, but the people of Judah stayed close to David all the way from the Jordan to Jerusalem. David had left 10 of his wives in Jerusalem to take care of his palace, but when he came back, he had them taken to another house, and he placed soldiers there to guard them. He gave them whatever they needed, but he never slept with any of them again. They had to live there for the rest of their lives as if they were widows. David said to Omesa, Three days from now I want you and all of Judah's army to be here. Amasa started bringing the army together, but it was taking him more than three days. So David said to Abishai, Sheba will hurt us more than Absalom ever did. Take my best soldiers and go after him. We don't want him to take over any walled cities and get away from us. Abishai left Jerusalem to try and capture Sheba. He took along Joab and his soldiers, as well as David's bodyguard and best troops. They had gone as far as the big rock at Gibeon when Amasa caught up with them. Joab had a dagger strapped around his waist over his military uniform, but it fell out as he started toward Amasa. Joab said, Amasa, my cousin, how are you? Then Joab took hold of Amasa's beard with his right hand so that he could greet him with a kiss. Amasa did not see the dagger in Joab's other hand. Joab stuck it in Amasa's stomach and his insides spilled out on the ground. Joab only struck him once, but Amasa was dying. Joab and his brother Abishai went off to chase Sheba. One of Joab's soldiers stood by Amasa and shouted, If any of you are for Joab and David, then follow Joab. Amasa was still rolling in his own blood in the middle of the road. The soldier who had shouted noticed that everyone who passed by would stop, so he dragged Amasa off the road and covered him with a blanket. After this, no one else stopped. They all walked straight past him on their way to help Joab capture Sheba. Sheba had gone through all of the tribes of Israel when he came to the town of Abel-Bethmaicah. All of his best soldiers met him there and followed him into the town. Joab and his troops came and surrounded Abel so that no one could go in or come out. They made a dirt ramp up to the town wall and then started to use a battering ram to knock the wall down. A wise woman shouted from the top of the wall, Listen to me. Listen to me. I have to talk to Joab. Tell him to come here. When he came, the woman said, Are you Joab? Yes, I am, he answered. She said, Please listen to what I have to say. All right, he said, I'll listen. She said, Long ago, people used to say, If you want good advice, go to the town of Abel to get it. The answers they got here were all that was needed to settle any problem. We are Israelites, and we want peace. You can trust us. Why are you trying to destroy a town that's like a mother in Israel? Why do you want to wipe out the Lord's people? Joab answered, No, no, I'm not trying to wipe you out or destroy your town. That's not it at all. There's a man in your town from the hill country of Ephraim. His name is Sheba, and he is the leader of a rebellion against King David. Turn him over to me, and we will leave your town alone. The woman told Joab, We will throw his head over the wall. She went to the people of the town and talked them into doing it. They cut off Sheba's head and threw it to Joab. Joab blew a signal on his trumpet, and the soldiers returned to their homes. Joab went back to David in Jerusalem. Joab was the commander of Israel's entire army. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was in command of David's bodyguard. Adoram was in charge of the slave labor force. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilad, kept government records. Shiva was the secretary. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. Ira from Jair was David's priest. 2 Samuel chapter 21. While David was king, there were three years in a row when the nation of Israel could not grow enough food. So David asked the Lord for help, and the Lord answered, Saul and his family are guilty of murder because he had the Gibeonites killed. The Gibeonites were not Israelites. They were descendants of the Amorites. The people of Israel had promised not to kill them, but Saul had tried to kill them because he wanted Israel and Judah to control all the land. David had the Gibeonites come, and he talked with them. He said, What can I do to make up for what Saul did, so that you'll ask the Lord to be kind to his people again? The Gibeonites answered, Silver and gold from Saul and his family are not enough. On the other hand, we don't have the right to put any Israelite to death. David said, I'll do whatever you ask. They replied, Saul tried to kill all our people so that none of us would be left in the land of Israel. Give us seven of his descendants. We will hang these men near the place where the Lord is worshipped in Gibeah, the hometown of Saul, the Lord's chosen king. I'll give them to you, David said. David had made a promise to Jonathan, with the Lord as his witness, so he spared Jonathan's son Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul. But Saul and Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, had two sons named Armoni and Mephibosheth. Saul's daughter Merab had five sons, whose father was Adriel, the son of Barzillai from Mahola. David took Rizpah's two sons and Merab's five sons and turned them over to the Gibeonites, who hanged all seven of them on the mountain near the place where the Lord was worshipped. This happened right at the beginning of the barley harvest. Rizpah spread out some sackcloth on a nearby rock. She wouldn't let the birds land on the bodies during the day, and she kept the wild animals away at night. She stayed there from the beginning of the harvest until it started to rain. Earlier, the Philistines had killed Saul and Jonathan on Mount Gilboa and had hung their bodies in the town square at Beth-shan. The people of Jabesh and Gilead had secretly taken the bodies away, but David found out what Saul's wife Rizpah had done, and he went to the leaders of Jabesh to get the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan. David had their bones taken to the land of Benjamin and buried in a side room in Saul's family burial place. Then he gave orders for the bones of the men who had been hanged to be buried there. It was done and God answered prayers to bless the land. One time David got very tired when he and his soldiers were fighting the Philistines. One of the Philistine warriors was Ishbi Benob who was a descendant of the Rephaim and he tried to kill David. Ishbi Benob was armed with a new sword and his bronze spearhead alone weighed about three and a half kilograms. But Abishai came to the rescue and killed the Philistine. David's soldiers told him, We can't let you risk your life in battle anymore. You give light to our nation, and we want that flame to keep burning. There was another battle with the Philistines at Gob, where Sibachai from Husha killed a descendant of the Rephaim named Saph. There was still another battle with the Philistines at Gob, A soldier named Elhanan killed Goliath from Gath, whose spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. Elhanan's father was Jair from Bethlehem. There was another war, this time in Gath. One of the enemy soldiers was a descendant of the Rephaim. He was as big as a giant and had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. But when he made fun of Israel, David's nephew Jonathan killed him. Jonathan was the son of David's brother Shimei. David and his soldiers killed these four men who were descendants of the Rephaim from Gath. Second Samuel chapter 22 David sang a song to the Lord after the Lord had rescued him from his enemies, especially Saul. These are the words to David's song. Our Lord and our God, you are my mighty rock, my fortress, my protector. You are the rock where I am safe. You are my shield, my powerful weapon, and my place of shelter. You rescue me and keep me safe from violence. I praise you, our Lord. I prayed to you, and you rescued me from my enemies. Death, like ocean waves, surrounded me, and I was almost swallowed by its flooding waters. Ropes from the world of the dead had coiled around me, and death had set a trap in my path. I was in terrible trouble when I called out to you, but from your temple you heard me and answered my prayer. Earth shook and shivered. The columns supporting the sky rocked back and forth. You were angry and breathed out smoke. Scorching heat and fiery flames spewed from your mouth. You opened the heavens like curtains and you came down with storm clouds under your feet. You rode on the backs of flying creatures. You appeared with the wind as wings. Darkness was your tent. Thunderclouds filled the sky, hiding you from sight. Fiery coals lit up the sky in front of you. Lord Most High, your voice thundered from the heavens. You scattered your enemies with arrows of lightning. You roared at the sea, and its deepest channels could be seen. You snorted, and the earth shook to its foundations. You reached down from heaven, and you lifted me from deep in the ocean. You rescued me from enemies who were hateful and too powerful for me. On the day disaster struck, they came and attacked me, but you defended me when I was fenced in, you freed me and rescued me because you love me. You are good to me, Lord, because I do right, and you reward me because I am innocent. I do what you want and never turn to do evil. I keep your laws in mind and never turn away from your teachings. I obey you completely and guard against sin. You have been good to me because I do right. You have rewarded me for being innocent by your standards. You are always loyal to your loyal people and you are faithful to the faithful. With all who are sincere, you are sincere, but you treat the unfaithful as their deeds deserve. You rescue the humble, but you look for ways to put down the proud. Our Lord and God, you are my lamp. You turn darkness to light. You help me defeat armies and capture cities. Your way is perfect, Lord, and your word is correct. You are a shield for those who run to you for help. You alone are God. Only you are a mighty rock. You are my strong fortress, and you set me free. You make my feet run as fast as those of a deer, and you help me stand on the mountains. You teach my hands to fight and my arms to use a bow of bronze. You alone are my shield, and by coming to help me, you have made me famous. You clear the way for me, and now I won't stumble. I kept chasing my enemies until I caught them and destroyed them. I destroyed them. I stuck my sword through my enemies, and they were crushed under my feet. You helped me win victories and forced my attackers to fall victim to me. You made my enemies run, and I killed them. They cried out for help, but no one saved them. They called out to you, but there was no answer. I ground them to dust, and I squashed them like mud in the streets. You rescued me from my stubborn people and made me the leader of foreign nations who are now my slaves. They obey and come crawling. They have lost all courage, and from their fortresses they come trembling. You are the living Lord. I will praise you. You are a mighty rock. I will honor you for keeping me safe. You took revenge for me, and you put nations in my power. You protected me from violent enemies, and you made me much greater than all of them. I will praise you, Lord, and I will honor you among the nations. You give glorious victories to your chosen king. Your faithful love for David and for his descendants will never end. 2 Samuel chapter 23 These are the last words of David. This is the message of David, son of Jesse. The man made great by the Most High God speaks. He is the appointed king of the God of Jacob. He is the sweet singer of Israel. The Lord's Spirit spoke through me, and His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The Rock of Israel said to me, Whoever rules fairly over people, who rules with respect for God, is like the morning light at dawn, like a morning without clouds. He is like sunshine after a rain that makes the grass sprout from the ground. This is how God has cared for my family. God made a lasting agreement with me, right and sure in every way. He will accomplish my salvation and satisfy all my desires. But all evil people will be thrown away like thorns that cannot be held in a hand. No one can touch them except with a tool of iron or wood. They will be thrown in the fire and burned where they lie. These are the names of David's warriors. Josheb-Beshebeth, the Tekemonite, was head of the three. He killed 800 men at one time. Next was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. Eliezer was one of the three soldiers who were with David when they challenged the Philistines. The Philistines were gathered for battle, and the Israelites drew back. But Eleazar stayed where he was and fought the Philistines until he was so tired his hand stuck to his sword. The Lord gave a great victory for the Israelites that day. The troops came back after Eleazar won the battle, but only to take weapons and armor from the enemy. Next, there was Shammah, son of Agi the Herahite. The Philistines came together to fight in a vegetable field. Israel's troops ran away from the Philistines, but Shammah stood in the middle of the field and fought for it and killed the Philistines, and the Lord gave a great victory. Once, three of the thirty, David's chief soldiers, came down to him at the cave of Adullam during harvest. The Philistine army had camped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and some of the Philistines were in Bethlehem. David had a strong desire for some water. He said, Oh, I wish someone would get me water from the well near the city gate of Bethlehem. So the three warriors broke through the Philistine army and took water from the well near the city gate of Bethlehem. Then they brought it to David, but he refused to drink it. He poured it out before the Lord, saying, May the Lord keep me from drinking this water. It would be like drinking the blood of the men who risked their lives. So David refused to drink it. These were the brave things that the three warriors did. Abishai, brother of Joab, son of Zeruiah, was captain of the three. Abishai fought three hundred soldiers with his spear and killed them. He became as famous as the three and was more honored than the three. He became their commander, even though he was not one of them. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a brave fighter from Kabzeel, who did mighty things. He killed two of the best warriors from Moab. He also went down into a pit and killed a lion on a snowy day. Benaiah killed a large Egyptian who had a spear in his hand. Benaiah had a club, but he grabbed the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These were the things Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, did. He was as famous as the three. He received more honor than the thirty, but he did not become a member of the three. David made him leader of his bodyguards. The following men were among the thirty Asahel, brother of Joab, Elhanan, son of Dodo from Bethlehem, Shammah the Herodite, Elika, the Herodite, Heles the Paltite, Ira son of Ikesh from Tekoa, Abiezer the Anathothite, Mabunai the Hushathite, Zelman the Yehohite, Meharai, the Netophathite, Heled, son of Baena the Netophathite, Ithi son of Ribi from Gibeah in Benjamin, Baneah the Pirithonite, Hidai from the ravines of Gaash, Abialban the Arbathite, Asmaveth the Barhumite, Eliaba, the Shealbanite, the sons of Jashan, Jonathan, son of Shammah the Herarite; Ahiam, son of Sherar the Herarite; Eliphelet, son of Ahazbi the Maacathite, Eliam, son of Ahithophel the Gilonite, Hezro the Carmelite, Peera the Arbite, Igal son of Nathan from Zobah, the son of Hagri, Zelech the Ammonite, Nahari the Bearthite, who carried the armor of Joab, son of Zeruiah, Ira the Ithrite, Gareb the Ithrite, and Uriah the Hittite. There were thirty-seven in all. Second Samuel chapter 24. The Lord was angry with Israel again, and he caused David to turn against the Israelites. He said, Go, count the people of Israel and Judah. So King David said to Joab, the commander of the army, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people. Then I will know how many there are. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God give you a hundred times more people, and may my master the king live to see this happen. Why do you want to do this? But the king commanded Joab and the commanders of the army, so they left the king to count the Israelites. After crossing the Jordan River, they camped near Aror on the south side of the city in the ravine. They went through Gad and on to Jazer. Then they went to Gilead in the land of Tatum-Hadshai and to Dan-Jayun and around to Sidon. They went to the strong-walled city of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Finally, they went to southern Judah to Beersheba. After nine months and twenty days, they had gone through all the land. Then they came back to Jerusalem. Joab gave the list of the people to the king. There were 800,000 men in Israel who could use the sword, and 500,000 men in Judah. David felt ashamed after he had counted the people. He said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by what I have done. Lord, I beg you to forgive me, your servant, because I have been very foolish. When David got up in the morning, the Lord spoke his word to Gad, who was a prophet and David's seer. The Lord told Gad, Go and tell David, This is what the Lord says. I offer you three choices. Choose one of them, and I will do it to you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Should three years of hunger come to you and your land? Or should your enemies chase you for three months? Or should there be three days of disease in your land? Think about it. Then decide which of these things I should tell the Lord who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in great trouble. Let the Lord punish us, because the Lord is very merciful. Don't let my punishment come from human beings. So the Lord sent a terrible disease on Israel. It began in the morning and continued until the chosen time to stop. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 people died. When the angel raised his arm toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord felt very sorry about the terrible things that had happened. He said to the angel who was destroying the people, That is enough. Put down your arm. The angel of the Lord was then by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel that killed the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who sinned and did wrong. These people only followed me like sheep. They did nothing wrong. Please punish me and my family. That day Gad came to David and said, Go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. So David did what Gad told him to do, just as the Lord commanded. Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming to him. So he went out and bowed face down on the ground before the king. He said, Why is my master the king come to me? David answered, To buy the threshing floor from you so I can build an altar to the Lord. Then the terrible disease will stop. Arana said to David, My master and king, you may take anything you want for a sacrifice. Here are some oxen for the whole burnt offering, and the threshing boards and the yokes for the wood. My king, I give everything to you. Arana also said to the king, May the Lord your God be pleased with you. But the king answered Arana, No, I will pay you for the land. I won't offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for one and one-fourth pounds of silver. He built an altar to the Lord there and offered whole burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer for the country. And the disease in Israel stopped. Well, beloved, let's talk a little bit about chapter 22. This is David's wonderful song of praise to God, who, of course, he served his entire life. As David wrote this, he included the highs and the lows from his life how God had delivered him from his enemies and how he was blessed. He gave praise for who God is and how incomparable he is. He acknowledged that God was his source of, well, everything. As I was reading this chapter, did any particular part stand out to you? What stood out for me was verses 21 through 25. Let me read that to you again. David said, You are good to me, Lord, because I do right, and you reward me because I am innocent. I do what you want and never turn to do evil. I keep your laws in mind and never turn away from your teachings. I obey you completely and guard against sin. You have been good to me because I do right. You have rewarded me for being innocent by your standards. Wait a minute, what? My guess is that part grabbed you as well, because we know that David was not blameless, was he? He was an adulterer, a schemer, a murderer. How could he say he was innocent? Here's how. Because God had forgiven him. In 2 Samuel 12:13, Nathan the prophet told David... The Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. Listen, beloved, when God forgives, He forgets. He no longer holds it against you. It's as if it never happened. David wrote in Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Beloved, David put his faith in God, and he trusted God's mercy, and he was called the friend of God. So what does that mean for you and me? It means that when we remember our sins, it's only in our own memory. It's not coming from God if we're in Christ. If you've confessed your sins to Him and you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can join David in this song and say, you reward me because I am innocent. Wow. This is literally the definition of a clean slate, isn't it? That's the best news you'll hear all day. What do you think? Call the Lifespring Family Hotline and let me know at plus one nine five one seven three two eighty five eleven. Comment via Boostagram or go to comment.lifespringmedia.com, where you'll find a little box you can type stuff into. Do that. I'd like to hear from you. Tomorrow will be Psalms Wednesday, and our reading will be chapters sixty through sixty-two. We'll also have a time of praise and prayer request because it's Wednesday. Wednesdays and Sundays, as you know. If you've got a prayer request or a praise that you'd like to share with the Lifespring family, let me know at prayer.lifespringmedia.com or call that Lifespring family hotline that I just gave you to a couple of seconds ago. Do it now while you're thinking about it. I'm thankful that I've got a couple of people to thank today. We have a couple of associate producers. Chris Hamilton came in with a $100 donation. Thank you very much, Chris. God bless you. And Timothy LaFontaine came in with his monthly $20 donation. Thank you, Tim, for your longtime support. You've been around for a long time, brother, and I appreciate you. God bless you. Boostagram. And yes, I got a -a Boostagram, and this one comes from Denise, who does our transcripts, and she was using the Fountain app. She sent 400 sats, and she said, Keep up the great work, Steve. Well, thank you, Denise. You, too. God bless you. Beloved, does the Lifespring One-Year Bible bring something good to your life? If it stops showing up in your podcast app, would you miss it? You probably noticed by now that there are no commercials on the show. So to keep it coming, I do need your support with time, talent, or treasure. That's how you can keep the show coming to you, beloved. You see, there are very real expenses to bringing you a seven-day-a-week show. So if you enjoy seeing a new episode of the Life Spring One-Year Bible in your podcast app each and every day, if you're getting any benefit from hearing God's Word and maybe a little something from my comments, please prayerfully consider making a donation. A one-time donation would be very much appreciated, but signing up for a weekly, monthly, or quarterly donation really does help to even out the slow times. Please do pray about it. Ask God what He would have you do, and then go to LifespringMedia.com/support. I guarantee that I'll thank you, and I believe that God will bless you. You've probably heard about what's going on at Asbury University in Kentucky, right? But if not, here's a brief synopsis. On February 8th, a revival began at what was supposed to just be a normal 10 a.m. chapel service at this Christian school. It started with the students, and as I record this right now, I think that the university has ended it because of how the influx of people from around the country and even the world has affected the surrounding community. Traffic and parking has been a problem, and in cooperation with the residents and law enforcement, I think they've decided to wind it down. It might even still be in a bit of a flux. But anyway, that's my understanding at this time. Now, A very interesting fact about this phenomenon at Asbury is that this isn't the first time this has happened there. Previous revivals have occurred there in 1905, in 1950, and in 1958. And on February 3, 1970, a revival erupted at what was then Asbury College. That one, too, began at a morning chapel service and lasted 185 hours, nonstop, continuing for weeks. That was in 1970. 1970 was when the Jesus movement began that I've talked about several times on the show and have been talking about recently with the Jesus Revolution movie, which will be coming out this week. Beloved, I believe that God right now is doing a great work that many of us have been praying for, for literally years. Now, right now, I want to share a few minutes of audio from a conversation my pastor, Greg Laurie, had with one of the producers of the Jesus Revolution movie. Listen to this. Hey everybody,
1: Greg Laurie with my friend John Irwin. John, this is it, this is the week, it's finally happening, Jesus Revolution is opening. Here's what's amazing to me, seven years ago we had our first conversation about this film. You tried to get the film made before uh, the date that it's being released which is this week and there were various obstacles and we couldn't get it done Mm -hmm. but now it's coming out and it just so happens that God's Holy Spirit seems to be falling on young people on college campuses, specifically at Asbury College in Kentucky, and yeah. now we've heard it spread to other campuses. You've heard the expression of life imitates art, right? So this movement happened, the art, the film, is made to show it happened, but now we see it happening again. So it's almost like all of this is coinciding. It's almost as though the Lord is saying, I want you all to know I'm here. Mm. You see Jesus uh, in Super Bowl ads, you see Jesus uh, portrayed so beautifully by Jonathan Rooney and the other actors in the incredible series called The Chosen. Now you see Jesus' revolution opening in a theater near you. What's going on with all this?
2: Uh, God's timing is amazing. And um, I, you know, we, we made the movie because. I read this Time Magazine article called mm-hmm. The Jesus Revolution, sure. and that was when we first met, is I yeah. wanted to meet someone that lived this story and, and just began to study the last sweeping revival in, in our nation's history that became known as the Jesus Movement. And the more I learned about it, the more I thought, can this please happen again? Yes. Can this happen in our time? And that's why we've been trying to make mm-hmm. the movie, and we've been trying to make it over and over again. We were almost there when COVID shut all productions down, yeah. and God just had a timing for this movie. A big Mm -hmm. part of the Jesus movement in 1970 was this revival at Ashbury at at Hughes Auditorium. Uh, And it it lasted like 160 hours, and it was a big part of the Jesus movement in the South. So for that to be happening again right now is unbelievable. And I was talking to Dallas about it, uh, Dallas Jenkins who created The Chosen. We didn't plan to have The Chosen season three, this He Gets Us campaign, and then Jesus Revolution all in the same month, but February has become this month of Jesus, you yeah. know, which the you know, in the entertainment industry, which is insane. And so, yeah. about a week and a half ago, I guess, I um, was rapping another movie in, in, uh, in Kentucky. And so, I was yeah. in Kentucky, and it was like day two or three of, of this revival. And uh, my wife was with me, and and we were 60 miles away. And yeah. I'm like, I saw a post on social media, and I'm like, let's just go. Yeah. And so, I, we went over. And just sat, at that point, it was early, so you could just walk right in and sit yeah. down. And and I just wanted to listen. And uh, and we sat there and listening to the stories that these college kids were sharing is so much of everything that we've been praying for. And then also so much of what we dramatized in the film. Yeah. I think you called me and said, what did it feel like? And I'm like, it was exactly like the scenes wow. in the movie. So I just think for, my, for, for this time, um, In the research, I heard the word desperation come Mm -hmm. up a lot. You said the late 60s was a desperate time. So similar to the times that we're in now. And I just think we're back in that moment of desperation. And I really think that this could happen again. And that's why we made the movie. That's been the heartbeat of the film the whole time. So for the timing to be what it is, God's timing is just perfect. And to see this begin to happen is unbelievable. So make some noise as the the movie uh, comes out. But I was just so encouraged and inspired by listening to the college kids there's stories mm. beth and i both were and you could feel god in the room in yeah. in, a, in a powerful way and that's what we've been praying for this whole right. time so i just think we're back in another moment of desperation yes and that's the last time god broke through in our country mm. and i think he can do it again yeah
1: think of the jesus revolution film as a tool not just a movie it's a tool for you to use Uh, It's a tool for you to take a non-believer to. Check this out. You can even get an evangelistic conversation going by simply asking someone, have you heard about this movie, Jesus Revolution? Good chance they have. You can say, Google it right now. And the point is you can start a conversation about Jesus. It's been said that the fame of revival spreads the flame of revival, Jesus Revolution is a true story of what happened to me and my wife, Kathy, how we met. It's a love story. It's a story of a pastor who was struggling, Chuck Smith, a hippie evangelist that came to him and Chuck opened his heart and the doors of his church to this preacher and an explosion happened. And we're praying that this movie will inspire all of us to pray for another spiritual awakening. Get your tickets, go see Jesus Revolution. February 24th at a theater near you.
0: You know, we've talked here on the show about God doing things in the fullness of time, haven't we? God is never late. God is never early. God does things at just the right time or in the fullness of time. The Chosen, Asbury University, the He Gets Us ads on the Super Bowl, the Jesus Revolution movie. I believe that God is just getting started, beloved. Praise his holy name. Let's continue to pray for God to pour out His Spirit on men and women, boys and girls around the world. We need Jesus, beloved. Now, I do encourage you to take an unsaved friend to see the Jesus Revolution movie. I promise it isn't cheesy. Really, it's a good film. And after you watch it with your friend, it'll be easy to talk about what Jesus has done in your life and to ask them if anything in the movie spoke to them. It really is a wonderful evangelistic tool. I'm going to be walking across the street to my neighbor and his wife's house tomorrow and ask them to go with us. And I want to remind you that I'm giving away three copies of the Jesus Revolution book this Saturday. Send an email to me at steve at lifespringmedia.com with a subject line, I want a Jesus Revolution, or send me a boostogram with those words to be entered into the drawing. Do it now while you're thinking about it. Pause the podcast right now. I'll be here when you're through. Go ahead. I'll see you in a minute. Go ahead. You send that email or BoosterGram? Good, thanks. I'll put you in the drawing. My thanks to Scott Snyder, today's artist. Also, thanks to Sister Denise, Michael Hainer, Jason Paschal, and Brittany. I appreciate you guys. Remember that tomorrow is Wednesday and we'll have a time of prayer together. If you have a prayer request or a praise, go to prayer.lifespringmedia.com or call the LifeSpring Family Hotline. Let the LifeSpring family rejoice with you or pray for you. Until tomorrow, may God bless you richly. It's been great seeing you today. My name is Steve Webb. Bye. LifeSpring Media, bringing the message of hope, love, and good news since 2004. Boost!